Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. There was no social media when I was coming up, so don't read all of it and don't believe all of it. There's going to be 50% that you say something bad and 50%, but they have no interest in you whatsoever. So just believe in your heart and you know when it's right and when it's wrong and um, just pursue your dream. Welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. Very excited today. Anthony Clark, talented actor, comedian, and amazing talent who I've known my entire career. And I have so many thoughts regarding him. Changed my life in a lot of ways when I was starting. And I'm grateful that he's here. Sometimes it's hard to get guests to come on the show. Anthony's one of those people because he's never, ever done a podcast before. And this is his first one, and I'm grateful that he's here. I want to thank you all for <laughs> Well, it was you or Mark Marin. There you go. <laughs> I want to thank you all for coming to the show and listening to the show and being so supportive of the show. I'm very, very grateful. It means a lot. And because I never know how much time I'm going to get with Anthony, because he's also an incredible businessman who probably owns four houses that are all palatial mansions all over California because of the success that he's had in this business. But as I look across from Anthony, I know exactly what I want to say right now. And it's a story that is pretty amazing. Anthony was one of five people chosen to do the HBO Young Comedian Special out of Aspen with host the late Gary Shandling, a brilliant, brilliant man, obviously. And these were the people that were on the HBO Young Comedian Special. Dave Attell, Louis C.K., Dave Chappelle, Anthony Clark, three guys on the show that I had either was working with or You were had working with, with all of us at the time, weren't and, you? And uh, not all of you. And so it was an incredible show. And it was just amazing to see a show that was put together that was validation for me that maybe I did have an eye for comedy and maybe the people that I had seen that I thought were going to be special were really those people that would become special. And there's those moments that just hit you when you get emotional and you realize you're on the right track 
and hopefully you're doing the right thing with your life. And when I look here at Anthony Clark sitting across from me, he was in a situation where this was a huge break for him. But the day before, he did something to jeopardize things a little bit. He went skiing with another comedian, Kevin Meany, and I guess he really didn't take care of himself, and he got back, and his throat was sore, and he couldn't talk, and they called a doctor, and he couldn't speak at all, and they found out that it was laryngitis, and we had to tell the people that he had laryngitis, and there was 24 hours to the show, and there was no doubt in Anthony's mind that he was going to be able to talk. But the festival had a backup right there in case he couldn't. And for some reason, I don't know how he did it, he willed himself to do it. And when he was introduced, his voice worked and he did it and he did a great job. And he was part of one of the most amazing lineups in HBO Young Comedians history. And I think when you believe in yourself, you can figure out anything and you can will yourself to do anything and there was no reason how it was possible that anthony could go out there and do a five to seven minute stand-up set where he was yelling and talking loud and being animated when he had laryngitis and he didn't have a voice and he hadn't used his voice in 24 hours and then you got to walk past the hallway and know that there's somebody there in the wings waiting to take your place if you can't do it. That's enormous pressure. But Anthony was always the kind of guy who was naturally gifted. He could always make things happen. As a stand-up, he would go on stage and it was effortless and he would always kill. And as an actor, he would always go into these auditions and against all odds, with relatively no experience, he would always book the jobs, it seemed. And here he was at the Young Comedian Special, and technically speaking, he hadn't been doing it a long time. But he got the gig, and no matter what the obstacles, he was not going to be denied. And with Kathy Griffin in the hallway waiting in the wings, he went on and crushed it and did an amazing job, and was associated with some of the greatest stand-up comedians of my or anybody's generation. And as I like to say, show me who you're with, and I'll show you who you are. And I think hanging out with Dave Attell, Louis C.K., and Dave Chappelle on an HBO Young Comedian special showed them that was the evidence. So if I take anything here from sitting across from Anthony and thinking about that story, the main thing is, is in your career, you're going to face adversity. You're going to face a lot of problems. There's going to be obstacles that come in your way that seem insurmountable. There's going to be people at your work that are waiting in the wings to take your job. But if you forge through and fight through it, and keep working as hard as you can and have the vision in your mind of what's going to take place positively as opposed to negatively, all those forces that are working against you will work for you and you'll have the kind of career 
than Anthony Clark has had. Here we go in three, two. This show will have laughter. I got everybody pregnant with Barry Katz and semen. I'm not comfortable with the tone this is taking. If you're undeniable, you will not be denied. If you want to be successful in show business, you get yourself a Jew white manager like Barry Katz. <laughs> Being a manager is just turning no's into yeses. Creating holy shit moments. Undeniable. You fucking firing me up, Katz. I love this man. Is there anything else I should know? You're on. What? Out of the air! Barry Katz. Back in the house. 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 Let's do this. Do you believe that you are just a gifted guy in acting when you got those two roles? Did you believe that, hey, I'm just a natural. I had this when I was born. Or do you believe you're one of those guys who like gutted it out? and, and I think it's 50-50. I think... You know, I think 50% is luck. If you get the opportunity to be there when you're supposed to hit the – I look at it like a pro baseball player. When, you, when you're given the opportunity, you, you better hit the ball, you know. Be prepared to hit the ball. Be, be ready to uh, take your opportunity and uh, make the most of it, you know. I mean, I didn't know when it was going to be, but I knew I wanted to be prepared for everything that, uh, you know, my agency sent me in to do, you know. Got it. So you started booking acting job after acting job after acting job. That pilot didn't go. You did the movie. What was your first break in television where something actually got on the air? Um, I think uh, right after uh, I did Dogfight with River and all those guys, um, I got the, uh, the thing we talked about before, the Montreal thing. And then HBO Young Comedian Special came after that. And then right after that, you know, I went to do a reoccurring uh, character on Ellen. And yeah, So uh, Ellen was your first television series that got on the First air. sitcom to, to be on air. You know, not, not a pilot. Tell us how that happened, meeting Ellen. I think I just met her at a party with, uh, you know, I had just done the thing called Love with uh, Dermot Maroney and uh, and River and them, and I came out here uh, to do uh, something else. Maybe it was just a stand-up thing, and I met Ellen um, at a party with, uh, you know, all their Hollywood friends, you know. Uh, Dermot was married to, you know, uh, Catherine Keener. She was nominated for an Oscar uh, for being John Malkovich. Yeah. And just a bunch of talented people. So after Dogfight and the Ellen thing. Well, right after Dogfight was the Grapes of Wrath on Broadway, which was the biggest thing in my whole career, as I feel, you know, to be on Broadway. Take us through that audition. Well, it's just, uh, you know, Frank Giolotti was the director, and they go, someone's leaving. Uh, I believe his name was, um, I can't remember his name. I'm not even going to say it because I'm going to say it wrong. But anyway, he was going to do a Coen Brother movie, so he had to leave the show. And they go, uh, Jim uh, Jode, uh, Gary Sinise was playing Tom Jode. It was his brother. Um, you know, so there's a role opening, and um, I auditioned, and I got it. And, uh, and that was with John C. Riley, Gary John Sinise. John C. Riley, Gary Sinise, uh, Terry Kinney, you know, so many brilliant stage actors. And I'll never, you know, I'll, I'll never um, underestimate how much they work. You know, they work Tuesday night. Wednesday matinee, Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday matinee, Saturday night, Sunday matinee, eight shows, three hours, every show, and you can't fake it. 
you know, that it's sold out your Tony award winning show. And I was used to comedy and, uh, the Grapes of Wrath is n- not one funny, <laughs> nothing funny. I was staying at the apartment on the Upper West Side. Yeah, you were staying at my apartment. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> what was the other one? What was the other one? That was the one on 82 West 82nd Street where Central I got Park that West. for $935 a month. That was my first apartment. And I made a deal with four comedians to pay me 200 a month. Me, they could use Ed it as Regine. A hotel. You, Ed the Machine Regine, Nick DiPaolo, <laughs> and Louis C.K. <laughs> <laughs> There's a book that be, could be written right there. So at this point, you've done the HBO Young Comedian special. You did the Five Funny Guys special, which was fantastic with Mario Joyner and Jeff Cesario, Tom Kenny and Jonathan Solomon for MTV. So you're working with all these great comedians. You're doing the club shows. You win the competition. But you're also booking big films. You're on Broadway. At that point... In around 1996 or so. I said, I want a sitcom. Do you feel you're a better actor or a better stand-up comedian? Well, I always wanted to be an actor. You know, stand-up was something to do to uh, make the bridge to uh, this town or New York acting, too. I mean, you can be just as successful as an actor in New York as L.A. But I always, for me, was acting. You know, I... I, um, I appreciate uh, the stand-up. You know, my brothers in arms and stand-up, I, I adore them. You know, to this day, I can go to the improv, and I guess what I'm most proud of is the way the comics receive me. You know, they, they, I think they respect me. I think they feel that I was original, and I always stand up for them. You know, I always uh, am on the comic side, not the club owners. So, um, But I think, you know, acting for me and... Um, you know, it, it it was big being in these movies. And, um, you know, I guess the next big step was uh, working with Max and Dave. Uh, Max Muchnick and Dave Cohan, who were... Who executive producers of uh, Will and Grace and started my first show that uh, ran for more than uh, a pilot, which was Boston Common. And they were from Emerson College. Uh Max is, I don't, Dave went to Sweetbriar or somewhere in Virginia. I don't, I don't know where he went. It's not Sweetbriar. That's an all woman's college. He dated, he married a girl from Sweetbriar, but uh, I don't know where Dave went. But Max was my buddy from uh, Emerson. But Boston was your first thing where they developed something around Boston Common. And you were the lead with Tasha Smith. Who had met in Montreal that summer with you. Yeah. And uh, do you think it all happened because of Montreal? I'm not sure at that point. I don't know. There was the so Montreal much Montreal Just on. for Laughs Festival, big festival, your first time up there. Everything happened. Uh, the big HBO thing happened and a lot of things. I mean, it was huge at the time. I, I think it's still a huge, a beautiful event. I don't know if they hand out television deals like they used to, you know. But I, I think, you know, a lot of people got television deals out of there. I think, you know, me, uh, me obviously, I think it came, it was a product of Montreal. Probably the most important uh, week of my life. I mean, everything happened after uh, Montreal. Hey, everybody. I hope you're enjoying this episode as much as I am. If you made it this far and you haven't fallen asleep yet, then you must be the type of person who's serious about having a career in the comedy business. That's why I'm offering you my Blueprint for Success, a -a one-of-a-kind all-access pass into my knowledge and experience after over 40 years of working with the best of the best in this crazy entertainment industry. 
I'll tell you all the stories, all the philosophies, give you all the great special guests, and even give you one-on-one -on -one private consultations to help you expand, enhance, and skyrocket your comedy career. Just go to barrycats.com and click on Blueprint for Success to learn more about my groundbreaking digital academy that I've created just for you. With it, we can take your career so far that one day, instead of listening to this podcast, you'll be interviewed on it. And so you get Boston Common, you're now making big money because sitcom money, even when sitcom money is shitty for a sitcom actor. It's better than a stand-up. It's huge. Even if you're getting the lowest amount as a lead, you're getting like $25,000. And it's way more than that a lot of times. And if you do 22 episodes of something, all that of a sudden up. you're thrust in a situation where you're making high six figures or a million dollars and your life changes. How did your life change as the lead on a sitcom? Well, you know, during Boston Common, I still try to go out and do stand-up on the weekends, and you, you realize you're exhausted. You know, it's like taking a huge, uh, huge college campus test every Friday night when you shoot the show. You have to know, you have to memorize 50 pages of script. And let me tell you, if you don't do it, there's somebody on the next bus that will do it. So you better be good at it. And um, you're not playing around with you know, you're not going to mess with ABC or NBC or CBS's money. Um, if you don't do it right and you don't look right and you don't show up and you're ready to go, then, you know, there's always uh, another alternative. So there's a lot of pressure to it. I know a lot of people uh, look at sitcom or, or actors in general, no matter what, you know, movie. Or, and they're like, they're so overpaid. Well, you know, are they? Are athletes overpaid? Is LeBron overpaid? Is anyone overpaid? And so. the thing is, during television, you only have a certain amount of time to do other things. But it seemed like even after you booked Boston Common, then you booked The Rock, that big movie with Sean Nicholas Connery Cage and, and Sean uh, Connery. And you're working in the summer in between and you never it, stopped working. Well, it, I mean, it, it is. But, uh, you know, you're from the school of while it's uh, while it's happening, you need to go ahead and uh, partake, you know, because... This is what you've wanted your whole life. and uh, What I always found amazing about you is that something ended and then you just go on one of your first auditions again. Like after Boston Common ends, it's three years. One of the rare shows that gets canceled after three seasons. Normally you do three seasons. They just give you the fourth season for syndication. It was a pretty depressing time when you're right that close and you get canceled. And what happens? You go on your next audition, you book Soul Man with Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I don't know. And then that show goes a year. You think you're going to be bummed out about something. Then one of your next auditions after that is Yes, Dear. There was no audition. It was just asking me to do it. So they just gave you the offer. Well, yeah. And then they said, you got to meet Mike O'Malley. And I go, what? I'm not <laughs> working with this ESPN guy. He's not even an actor. <laughs> This guy's a cheese ball from New Hampshire. Did you know him before? No. I go meet him, man. Go to lunch with him. And I go, all right. And I met him and he looked at me and he goes, look, man, I'm not a big fan. <laughs> at the time, he was doing these great character of ESPN spots, these Boston spots. Yeah, yeah. The Rick. That's what it was called. Where you had little 
Red Sox dolls. Yeah. They would pretend to the first thing he said to you is, listen, I got to tell you, I'm not, not a fan. fan. <laughs> Did you laugh? I love Mike. I mean, Mike's come up into my dressing room when, you know, I was like, I'm not going on tonight. He goes, let me tell you, you are not going to fuck with my money. <laughs> <laughs> Don't mess with me. So they made you the offer and you accepted it. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, I met Liza, who is Mike, played Mike's wife forever on yesteryear, and Jeannie, who played my wife. And uh, it was a really, you know, six years. That's longer than high school. You know, six years every day. And we had a blast. I think we... Uh, 122 episodes. 122 episodes. Syndication. All over the world. Big money. And my little uh, life growing up in Virginia, I could have never imagined, you know, CBS. Come on. It's the Carol Burnett Network. You know what I mean? That's where you went every day to work. Carol Burnett Studios. Well, it's three of them. Mary Tyler Moore. They call it three different things. Radford, Mary Tyler Moore, Carol Burnett. And so was there a point in doing the show where you got tired of it? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just, a, I'm, like I said, it's like, it's a huge, it's 50 pages of script every week that you not only have to memorize. I mean, you have to have it down. I mean, it has to be like, you know, ingrained in your head and. I mean, it, it ain't easy, but it ain't tough compared to working in a coal mine or, you know, cleaning hotel rooms at the Days Inn in Orlando. I mean, it is what it is. But uh, at the same time, you know, it was uh, a relief to be able to get back from the shooting of it and go down to the improv and be around all my soldiers in arms, you know. Everybody from Nick Swartzen to Zach Galifianakis and Jeremy Hotz. And, you know, that's a little clubhouse down there. People don't realize that. That is a little uh, fraternity clubhouse. And um, you earn your you earn your ways up into you get stage time there. And one of the things I found with you during yesteryear that I never found with you before it was the first time in my life of knowing you where I felt that you created drama. You never did that before. You were always a guy who was the easiest going guy to work with. But there were days where you told me that you made things more difficult for people on that. Why did that little idiosyncrasy start there and how did you get rid of it? I think you just get caught up in your own hype. You know, you think you're untouchable. You know, you you look at the ratings on, you know, the Nielsen's and where your show's coming in and, you know, how important you are to your producers and your network. And, uh, you know, but I think for everyone in Hollywood, you know, um, you're only here for a minute. So enjoy what you're doing. And when it gets to be a hassle, step away. It's not a big deal. It's, you know, they've given you the sun and the moon to do this. And um, you have to understand that you are very uh, fortunate to be in this position to begin with. So uh, I think take nothing for granted. And, um, you know, um, it's just like being a pro athlete. I mean, you know, I mean. 
everyone grows up wanting to be Joe Montana or Brett Farr or, you know, Tom Brady or something. But what's the reality of that? You know, you have to have a super arm of being, I mean, something's got to happen that's beyond your control to make that happen. And I, I think that's why it's like 50-50 talent and 50-50 luck sometimes just, but always be ready for because if I wasn't ready for that um, audition at Emerson College that morning to go in front of them and get accepted to the program, you know, I'd be working a drive through a, you know, Kentucky Fried Chicken. Would I be as happy? Probably because there would be chicken. <laughs> <laughs> hey, everybody. Let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business. I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to BarryCats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. One, one two, two, three, six degrees of separation. All right, six degrees of separation. I'm going to mention some names. You can tell me one word, a sentence, anything that comes to mind, and we'll go for it. The late River Phoenix. Oh, just brilliant. Uh, like a really mentor in my life as far as uh, discovering that it's not all about business and money. It's sometimes about, um, you know, uh, the chain of uh, the world and Mother Earth and uh, things that are bigger than or in your uh, control sometimes. Where were you when you found out he died? I was in New York City. I was supposed to do a Sunday night show at Caroline's, and they asked me, did I want to cancel? And I told them no, but um, I should have. I wasn't very funny, and I mourned. Then I went to, you know, Gainesville the next day and um, was down there with his brother Joaquin and everybody, his sister Rain and... Everybody, Bobby Bukowski and Michael Stipe, just a lot of his friends who, um, he was very special. It's a shame that he died at such a young age, but it's a shame that every artist dies at such a young age. Sean Connery. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't even know what he said. He spoke <laughs> English, but I had no idea what he was saying. <laughs> I think he said something to me. I think he, he looked at me at one point and he goes, Anthony, you are such a knock. <laughs> and I looked at Michael Bay, I guess it's good. <laughs> I didn't know what I didn't know what he said. 
Sorry, <laughs> you are such a nut. Nut? Is that what he said? Did he call me a nut? David Letterman. Oh, it's so weird, man. Mine and Letterman's relationship is so weird. You did seven times? I don't know how many, but he, you know, I think the Tonight Show was my first uh, big uh, stand-up. Uh, With Jay Leno. Yeah, Leno was my first. And then Letterman was like, we have been following you forever in New York City. Daniel. Uh, Kellison. Yeah, Dan Kellison. Kept, you know, looked at me for a year and a half to be on the Letterman show. It's like, come on, man. And then you just did the Tonight Show. Because and I did the just... Tonight Show and then Letterman called back and went, what? So anyway, you know, Dave is my, you know, I have three heroes in the world. So what's the first thing Dave ever said to you? Get a job. <laughs> <laughs> Louis C.K. Louis C.K. I love Louis so much. It is. Uh, we are like. Uh, what's that uh, movie with uh, John C. Riley and uh, Step Step Brothers? Yeah, yeah. We we're just. We were coming back. I think we did the University of Buffalo. Anyway, we decided to drive out there from Boston. It's a twelve-hour, ten-hour trip. So we had had enough of each other the whole drive out. And, you know, I couldn't stand to watch Louie open up for me. I thought it was the worst. So boring. So not funny. Just so terrible. And I have to sit through this again. Because I represented Louie and I asked you to have him open. And you did me the favor and you would always grudgingly put him on to open for you. As well, well as I Jesse. knew I would kill. But Jay Moore, you I like knew that. I would kill. Yeah. Because Louie would just bring the fucking... Just, he's so smart, but he wasn't a... Uh, he was 18 at yeah. the time. But he, his, uh, his writing was like unbelievable. Anyway, we're coming back from Buffalo. And, you know, I would get up there and dance and sing and do cartwheels. And Louis would look at me like, oh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't think I was funny either. And... Uh, we were coming back. I don't know. We were in Rochester for the weekend or University of Buffalo. I don't remember where. And I started playing The Cure in a cassette. And he looked at me because I guess I had played it 10 hours all the way out there. And he looked at me and goes, you're not going to play that again, are you? And I was so into, show me, show me, show me. You know, it was just so. And uh, there's one minute that I'm feeling good. And I'm looking out the window, and Louis ejects the cure out of my, you know, console and throws it out the window right in front of me, <laughs> right in front of my face. He goes, bye. And we're going, you know, 16 miles an hour on the New York Thruway. And he could tell that I was so upset. I was hurt. He just took a part of me and threw it out the window. And then he took off his sunglasses, these ones he had just bought. I think they were 30 bucks. He bought them in New York. And he threw them out the window. <laughs> and he looked at me and goes, are we okay? <laughs> are we even? He goes, you hurt me, I hurt you. <laughs> this is the one I remember from New York. New York City, the only place in the world where you go, hey, don't pee on that. That's mine. <laughs>
Louie had lost three cars in New York City the first month. And one of them was mine. <laughs> My first car. You let him borrow it? Yeah, and then he gave it to Sarah Silverman so he could believe. And she lost it and it got towed away. <laughs> yeah, it's you real, can't make that up. It's real funny. That's a little more than the $30 sunglasses. <laughs> You can't throw my Camaro out the window. You bought my first car, didn't you? When I, I think so I, I could did. go to Springfield. Yes, I did. What was You're that? From Ed Regime. Yeah. It was like they didn't even have a stick shift. The late Gary Shandling. Love him. I mean, I don't know much about him other than he hosted the HBO. I know that he came out after the HBO Young Comedian special. And after I went off stage, he went, Well, you'll never see him on cable again. <laughs> <laughs> Dan Aykroyd. Um, like brilliant. Knew him from um, a bunch of different uh, stuff. Uh, you know, Dan was, uh, Dan is just, I mean, anybody you connected to in that time of Saturday Night Live, uh, whether it's Gilda Radner, Bill Murray, I mean, I mean, that's just legends of the game. Bill Hicks. <sighs> what an influence, man. What a voice of the truth. That's just vinegar and water. It's just, hey, everybody. Bill Hicks, I remember his opening line. Hey, everybody. Let me put a big fake fucking smile on my face and try to get through this shit one more time. So I can fill the worthless fucking void in your souls. I'm just kidding. Every night's magic. <laughs> the late, great Bill Hicks. Where was he from? He's a Southern. I don't even know where he's from. He's Southern. Houston, Texas or something? Oh, he's Houston, yeah. A show you hosted for a year last, Comic Standing. I shouldn't have done that. You know, I was coming right out of Yes, Dear, and I don't know. You know, they kept asking me to wear a suit and do their own written jokes. And I mean, I, I wasn't ashamed of it. I think it came off good. Who won that year? Josh Blue? Yes. I think he's, he's a, amazing. Yeah, yeah. Ellen DeGeneres. Love her to death to this day. I think she started so many people's careers. Uh, been a voyeur as far as, uh, you know, um, you know, coming of age in Hollywood. Uh, really not being uh, shy of saying anything, being who she is. Sandra Bullock. A complete nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> now, what can you say about Sandra? She's America's darling. Good Lord. Every movie in the world. Jay Moore. Look, I love Jay. I mean... I seem to remember you were at some motel somewhere. He was opening for you. Yeah, I think we were doing University of North Carolina that night, Chapel Hill or something. And he was opening for me, and uh, he came backstage, and he goes, guess what? No, no, he came to the hotel room, and I was in a nap... And I was like, this better be good. Because you know I loved to nap before the show. <laughs> so did he. Yes. And I opened the door and he goes, I go, what? <laughs> <laughs> he goes, I got Saturday Night Live. And I love that for him. You were the first one that found out. I love that for him. I mean, Jay is a very talented kid. He came to the uh, dogfight premiere that night and he met River and Joaquin and Li Lily and... You could see it in his eyes that Jay wanted to be a big deal. And he, you know, he is. He is. But what he said about you, he said, 
you were the only guy that he knew that he could tell that he got Saturday Night Live and you would actually be genuinely happy for him with no animosity or jealousy. Well, what, why would I be mad about that? I don't want to do Saturday Night Live. I mean, Jay was in a position that he was going up in Greenwich Village every night at the cellar, your room on 3rd. Boston Comedy Club. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jay was... Uh, you know, Jay was Justin Bieber of uh, the New York City comedy world there for a minute. You know, always the new kid, you know, the new guy that's... But like you, able to book the acting jobs. Yeah, I mean, Jay's a great actor. No doubt about it. Michael Bay. Michael Bay is, uh, you know, I, I don't really know him, uh, you know, to hang out with at all, but uh, as a professional, always insanely supportive, um, always talk to me and other uh, occupations that I had. and But, uh, I mean, to this day, I mean, he's up there with everybody, right? I mean, he does huge movies. Gary Sinise. Gary Sinise is just brilliant. He is, uh, cares about everybody. Um, you know, I've never seen an actor. When you have to do that on the New York stage every day, maybe twice a day, and put that much into it, you know it's art. It's not a, it's not a business. It's, uh, he's not doing it for money, man. I mean, that guy is, um, he's the real deal. Dave Chappelle. Dave Chappelle is just the voice of our generation. He is, uh, you know, he's a DC kid, you know, my, my big city and coming out of Virginia was DC. I love it. Um, he, uh, Dave Chappelle just, uh, he has a, a way of orchestrating, um, just a crowd that uh, he he can turn a crowd into a riot, a frenzy. Dane Cook. Dane has an ability to turn a, a mediocre crowd into a swarming beehive, you know, just from his energy and his, you know, it, it, it's something very special. Tell me your five favorite comedians of all time. David Tell is my favorite, I think, of all. I mean... My favorite five comics are, and I have to give them, you know, I have to remember them because it, it's almost, uh, I just have to go in order. Bill Hicks, um, Bill Hicks, Troy Baxley out of Denver, Colorado. Probably nobody knows him. They will he know. He is one of the most brilliant people. He still does stand up out of Denver. I begged him to come out here a million times. He won't. Can I give you one, Troy Baxley? Can I do his joke on the air, giving him credit? Of course. Will he be mad if I no. do this? This is Troy Baxley, my first time in Denver. He goes, uh, yeah, today the Denver, Colorado prison system let out five pedophiles at the same time. And uh, since it's so hard for them to find a place to live, they all decided to live together. Since you can't live near a schoolyard or a park, he goes, this is my thing about five pedophiles living together. Goes, Where the hell are you going to find a five-van garage? <laughs> he goes, can you imagine them moving in? Dibs on the basement. <laughs> so dark. 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 Bill Hicks, Troy Baxley, uh, Kevin Meaney, Nick Swartzen. Zach Galifianakis. I just bought a, uh, I can't believe it's yogurt shop. <laughs> I don't sell yogurt, I sell soup.
<laughs> People taste it. They're like, wow, I can't believe this is yogurt. <laughs> I go, it's not. It's soup. <laughs> Your proudest moment in show business. I guess going out there the first time on um, the Grapes of Wrath that had already won the Tony Award and seeing the standing ovation just at the beginning of the show. When the actors take the stage, it's a standing ovation. I don't know if that's because of the New York Times review or it won the Tony. I just think it was such respect and um, complete, uh, you know, they knew they knew what was about to happen. And, I, and you know, they're paying at that time. What what year was that? 96 or something. Mm-hmm. So they're paying 120 a ticket, 150. I don't know. I don't even know what it is now. But that's when I thought I was an actor, you know, is that's when I, when, you know, I got to talk to Frank Giolotti. He's the director. And I go, what do you want me to do different? He goes, nothing. Just do it. Just do what you're doing. One of the things I want to comment about what you just said to everybody listening, the man across from me has done probably over 300 hours of television has gotten paid extraordinary millions and millions and millions of dollars doing television. One episode of the shittiest television show this guy across from me did was a 10,000 times more people saw it than The Grapes of Wrath. But his proudest moment was in front of 2,000 people every night in the theater, maybe at best 50,000 people saw the grapes of wrath but that's his proudest moment because it's the work it's the work and knowing you're doing great work and working with great people it doesn't have anything to do with how many people see it it was rewarding how much money you make he made probably like a thousand dollars a week 900 900 a week took 300 for the rent (laughs) so i had nothing your biggest disappointment in show business and how you used it to move to the next level biggest disappointment um, I don't know. You know, I mean, there's definitely uh, movies and stuff you were up for that you didn't get. You know, Brendan Fraser got them or, you know, I mean, there's no disappointments, man. I can't look back at anything and be sour grapes. I adore it. You know, I love, you know, that a lot of my family has moved out here. I love that I'm accepted uh, at the improv with other comics and. I love that I can get into Musso and Frank's without a reservation. <laughs> and barefooted. <laughs> I have to let everybody know <laughs> Musso and Frank's is up near Hollywood. Legendary. Boulevard, and all the movie stars from the beginning of time went there and it's still there and the waiters with the red vests yeah. and it's an amazing place. If you ever want to take a date there, you're coming. Go to there. lunch and it's not so crowded and busy. Just go to lunch and you can, and it's, but hey, there's no price change on the lunch or dinner menu. Well, you still got to pay. For you, the cheapest guy <laughs> in the world, I'm sure that's... I have the tongue sandwich. When's the last time you ever tipped 20% for anything? On the way over here today at 7-Eleven. All right. Just... <laughs> <laughs> last question. What advice do you have for the young person growing up in a town that there's nothing or you have very little resources or anything or anybody all over the world that just has some dream to do something and how to get to the next level and have the kind of career you've had. Well, I just feel that, you know, there was no social media when I was coming up. So don't read all of it and don't believe all of it. There's going to be 50% that you say something bad and 50% and, but they have no interest in you whatsoever. So 
just believe in your heart and, you know, you know when it's right and when it's wrong and um, just pursue your dreams. And that's all you can do is work hard and, uh, you know, stay true to yourself and, and um, you know, with a little God-given luck, maybe, you know, just just pursue what you want to do. I mean, look, look at the people we know, Barry, that came from nothing and they're here because they wouldn't give up. They They wouldn't give up because... There was a talent there, you know. There was something that everybody set, kept saying, "Go forward on." So, I just uh, think that um, you have to believe in yourself and believe the people that you keep around you and stay strong. And what do they say in England? Keep a stiff upper lip and carry on. Anthony Clark, this was awesome. This is one of the most unique and bizarre podcasts I have ever been a part of in my life. This has been the worst day of my life i cannot wait to get out of here i'm in adult diapers <laughs> he has had me sitting here in my own stew for 12 hours what do you think of your first podcast i liked it yeah i thought it was good okay i'm going to scroll through the list of people who sent me a message and one of these people will be a lucky winner and they'll get to attend a podcast live with one of my guests, meet them, shake their hand, ask them a few questions, or else if they're out of town, out of state, or out of the country, we'll Skype them in or FaceTime them or anything like that so they can be there. Why not? So let me look here randomly and pick somebody. All right, landing on Conjuring Mind. Heading reads, all aspiring and professional artists should listen to this five stars. So much is learned from Barry Katz's interviews with people in the business. He asks all the right questions and brings out some of the best in people. Highly recommended. All right. Thank you so much, Conjuring Mind. You are a winner. I just wanted to let you know if you ever want to get a gift for somebody special, you can do so at our merch store at barrykatz.com. We have a ton of shirts in many different colors with a plethora of the most impactful quotes from the podcast that have resonated with you throughout the years. I know you're going to like them a lot. They're really, really special and of the highest, highest quality. And it's a special gift from me to you. For any item you choose, you can take an extra $5 off by just typing in the promo code Barry. So just go to BarryCats.com, to the store, check it out. I know you won't be disappointed, and have a great, great holiday season. As you know, I was fortunate enough to do a documentary surrounding the only living person to ever admit to killing JFK from the grassy knoll. This is a guy who spent 50 years in prison, just got out. We have exclusive footage of his interview and over 20 different interviews, along with interviews with five of the greatest JFK assassination experts in the world. Once you watch these videos, your perception of the world and what happened that day will change forever. It's incredible. Just go to ikilljfk.com. You can pick up the documentary I Killed JFK and the rare interviews of five of the greatest JFK assassination experts in the world. I guarantee you, once you watch this footage, 
you will be blown away. To quote one of the experts in the film, when Trump said he wanted to drain the swamp, what do you think's at the bottom of the swamp? IKillJFK.com. Check it out. And here's a preview of the next very special episode. Jim Norton. Think things through before you open your big fucking mouth. It doesn't mean you're not being true to yourself because you actually act like a professional and not a petulant child. So don't be lazy and don't self-destruct. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get out the money. Drop that fancy car. All the people love you. Cause you're going far. Life is for the dreamers They have all to gain It's never quite over Till it all feels the same You pick your own poison Dig your own grave Down in the valley Fortune Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to barrykatz.com. Before you leave, Please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast, leave a comment, and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support, and have a great day.